word, and we thank you for all that you do. In the name of our amen. Amen. Good morning. Be seated once again. So grateful for our, our musicians today. I love that song. I just noticed it was written in 2003. Guy that wrote it, his name is Billy Foote, his wife's name is Cindy. And in 2003, I was able to, uh, in that summer, to work a, a camp. And they came and led worship for us a couple of weeks during that summer. And uh, they, they sang that song, and I just fell in love with it. Um, his wife, Cindy, lead singer for him when they'd lead worship. She's a little petite thing, I'm going to tell you, though. She sang that song, and I'd be re- I'm ready to take hell with a water pistol when she sings. It is a joy uh, to sing to the King, and I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Matthew, chapter 4. Let me just remind you, if you're a guest with us this morning for the first time or the hundredth time, and uh, you'd like to know what it looks like to be a member of Malvern Hill Baptist Church, we do have a Next Steps class this afternoon that I'll be leading at 4 o'clock. That class meets in the conference room right behind that wall that I'm pointing at uh, this morning. The book of Matthew, chapter 4. We are in a sermon series, if this is your first Sunday with us, we're in a sermon series on sort of what a healthy church looks like, what a healthy church should be. Uh, We've called it a church checkup, uh, and and we've stepped away from our time in the book of Mark because um, as as a result of just all of the the change and the growth and the new faces here at Malvern Hill in the past few months, I thought it would be really important for us to spend some time just digging into what a healthy church looks like and what a healthy church should be. And so you can see the graphic there. We're going to talk about preaching as we did last Sunday. We've talked about prayer. This Sunday morning we're going to talk about intentional discipleship and what that looks like and what that means. Next Sunday, I believe it's next Sunday, we're going to be talking about evangelism. We're going to talk about the absolute necessity um, uh, for the Word of God, scriptural fidelity there. And then we're going to talk about biblical leadership. Some of you are going, well, Craig, if we ordain deacons this morning, shouldn't we be talking about biblical leadership this morning? And the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is because what we've actually seen here today is certainly the raising up of new leaders. But what we've seen today is what the discipleship process should look like in a local church. What we've seen is what a discipleship process should look like in a local church. Because a discipleship in a local church should be such that people are brought to faith in Jesus Christ. They are baptized, they're introduced into intentional discipleship through small groups and other avenues. And through a period of time, of months and, and weeks and years that those people are discipled, they're, they're brought along in the faith to such a point that they're not just pew warmers, but they're actually stepping up and they're leading in various avenues within the local church. Buster Morris prayed this morning. He's one of our pastors on staff. And Buster is an example of what discipleship in this church looked like many years ago. He's been on staff here for 20 years. 20? Where are you? Let's just go with 20. 20-ish. Forever. Um, but prior to that, he served as a deacon here um, and, and, and grew in his faith here at Malvern Hill. And grew in his faith to a place where he was ordained as a deacon. And then later was ordained in the ministry of the gospel right here at Malvern Hill. And this morning we've seen... What that looks like for guys who have been brought to faith and and really discipled right here at Malvern Hill over a period of years. And it's such a joy for us to be able to see not only folks that are transferring in and bringing spiritual maturity. What an incredible privilege it is for us to see people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We're seeing the waters of baptism stirred here very regularly. But those people that are brought to faith in Jesus Christ are not just left alone to flounder out in the world. But instead we're bringing them in. We're raising them up. To become what? To become deacons and life group leaders and, 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 and uh, children's leaders. I told you just last Sunday about what, what incredible things that God's doing in children and young adult or student ministry here at our church. Uh, this morning I again walked over there just to see what's happening in the children's department. And it is terrifying. Um, 
there are like the we've been we've I shouldn't say we've been complaining, but to some degree we've been griping a little bit. I mean, we've got all these kids. We don't have a whole bunch of babies. We don't have a bunch of preschoolers right now. I stuck my head in the nursery and there's like 400 babies in there and they were all screaming. I left. I was so excited to come preach to y'all this morning. But that's what discipleship looks like in the local church. That's what discipleship is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like the process of raising people up. And raising people up to serve in a nursery ministry, raising, there aren't really 400 people, okay? There's like six kids in there and there's 14 adults. It's fine. Don't worry. Nobody run out and get your kid. I see some of you with these nervous looks, okay? Your, your kids are safe and they're cared for. Why? Because we've raised up people in this church that knows what it means to not just babysit, but knows what it means to rock babies and sing to them about Jesus and lead them and what it means to take the next steps in discipleship and the next steps in faith so that Lord willing, we'll see those babies be baptized, and we'll see those baptized children uh, grow up into Christian godly young adults, and we'll see those godly young adults grow up into godly adults in this church who are leading in our church and who are beginning to even propagate the next generation. That's right. That's the way I think. I think about what it looks like for us to have the next generation of leaders because that's what healthy church intentional discipleship looks like. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Matthew chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in, chapter, in verse 18. And we're going to really wrestle with the question of who is it that you're bringing along. Because the, the reality is that discipleship doesn't happen by accident. Stand with me in honor of God's word. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, this is Jesus of course, he saw two brothers. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat, or the boat, and their father and followed him. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would raise up disciple makers in this church. That, Father God, we would be intentional about going and seeking and saving the lost. We'd also be intentional, Lord God, about taking the saved and seeing them grow into maturity in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd be intentional about seeing them make a difference right here at Malvern Hill and in this community. And, Lord God, beyond. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, and please be seated this morning. Folks, I want to remind you that discipleship doesn't happen by accident. Discipleship doesn't happen by accident. I watched a high school football game on Friday night, and I watched kids run pretty intricate plays. I saw the offense click really well. It wasn't one of our local teams. I saw the offense click really well for one quarter. Um, Then after that, it all fell apart. I'm going to tell you what I saw in that first quarter. I saw a group of young men who had been coached. A group of young men who had been disciplined. A group of young men who had been taught how to play. They looked very different than my Gamecocks did yesterday. Here it is. That doesn't happen by accident. Do you understand that? These these young men have been practicing. They've been preparing. They've been being taught. They've been being, if, if you would, discipled in the way of that team for weeks. And in some cases, months and even years at this point. And as a result of that intentional effort by their coaches, they've been 
turned, in, turned from just a, a disparate group of young men that show up on a field and do something to an intentional group with an intentional purpose and an intentional goal, working together as one unified team. They're actually making a difference right there in their community. Right there on the football field, they looked like they knew what in the world they're doing. But it didn't happen by accident. Somebody had to do it on purpose. And folks, I want you to know this morning that discipleship won't happen by accident. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be on purpose. And that's what we see Jesus doing with his disciples right here in the book of Matthew in chapter 4. Jesus begins the process. And so this morning, I want us to look at three things. We're not going to do six like we did last Sunday. We're going to do three. And we're going to try and finish this before, I don't know, 1230. The first thing that Jesus did was he initiated a relationship. He initiated a relationship. What's it look like for you to bring somebody along? What's it look like for you to bring another believer along and help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? The first thing you're going to need to do is initiate a relationship. In his famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, self-help guru Dale Carnegie wrote, wrote this. He said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. You can win more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Now, if we were to shorten this down just a little bit for our purposes, Carnegie urges us to initiate relationships. I've seen some pretty unhappy people in the world who are really unhappy because they sit down in a seat somewhere and they wait for somebody to come along and speak to them. I have seen some pretty unhappy people in churches before because they walked down a hallway and I didn't speak and they got mad at me because I didn't speak to them. Okay? I've seen it. As a matter of fact, I've had people be livid with me and talk ugly about me because I ignored them. It might have been on a Sunday morning. It could have been at a ball game. It could have been in lots of... All of you guys have had this experience before. We also know exactly what's happened. You didn't intentionally ignore somebody, at least not most of the time. We got something on our mind. You know, we're trying to rush to get somewhere, and I walk right past somebody and not even see them. Listen, we need to get over the idea that everybody is waiting to notice us, and if we're going to be serious about discipleship, we've got to get used to the idea that we've got to be the initiators of the relationships within our church. We've got to be the people that are walking up and saying, Hey, man, how you doing? We've got to be the people that are walking by the sea, as it were, and calling out to those people in the boat, Hey! Jesus initiated the relationship. We've got to go out and find people. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't sit around and wait for somebody to come along and act? Now, this is Jesus. Okay? This is Jesus. On a list, if we... And I looked at one of these this week. Um, people do these a lot. If, if you could speak to somebody from history, dead or alive, who would it be? Number one is almost always Jesus. It doesn't matter who they ask. Ask every atheist in the world, they still want to meet Jesus. He is the greatest teacher who has ever lived. He is literally the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh. Nobody knows more than Jesus. Nobody is more qualified than Jesus. Jesus was popular. People wanted to be around Jesus. And yet Jesus didn't just sit down and say, I'm going to wait for somebody to come along and ask me if I'll mentor them. We've gotten discipleship backwards in the church. A whole lot of us are sitting around waiting. Well, well, I don't want to impose. I mean, if they want to grow, I'll wait for them to come to me. And when they come to me, I'm going to initiate. We'll, we'll talk about it. Jesus went walking and found the people that he wanted to invest in. 
He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He found some young guys. He says, hey, I think that you might have some potential. Did anybody else on planet Earth think those guys had potential? Let me just suggest probably not. Probably not. These are fishermen. Nothing against fishermen. I like to fish. But generally, when you're thinking about who is it that we can find to turn the world upside down, preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't run out to the deadliest catch crew in Alaska and say, you guys look like exactly what we need to come in here and revitalize our community. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He looks up. Jesus says, hey guys, I got, I, got, I got an idea. Now keep in mind, this isn't the first time that they've met. Based on John chapter 1 and, and verse 35, we see that Jesus had actually met these guys before. Now you'll remember that Jesus is walking. We got this story about John the Baptist and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A couple of John's disciples are like, Oh, he's the one? We thought you were the one. John said, Oh, no, no, no. I can't even like tie, like untie his sandals. I got nothing on that guy. They're like, well, it's good knowing you, John. And they're gone, right? Jesus, hey, here we are. Jesus begins to have a relationship with them. Okay? He continues on. He recruits a few more disciples. And then the Bible says that after about three days in John chapter 2, they went to a wedding at Cain of Galilee. Y'all, let me remind you, Jesus was no stick in the mud. This is a fun guy. People invite him to their weddings. Okay, If you've become the kind of Christian that nobody wants to have at their wedding, you're not the kind of Christian that looks like Jesus. All right? Okay? Well... They might do things wrong. They did things wrong everywhere Jesus was, and they still wanted him there. And he was right where he needed to be. Keep that in mind. Jesus goes to the wedding with some of his disciples. He's having a good time. They're partying together. They're having so much fun. These are the same men. Jesus has gotten to know them in, in sort of a ministry setting, if you were, when they came from John and they're like, man, we, we, we thought we had the guy, but now we know you're the guy and we need to get to know you. Then Jesus got to know him in sort of a, a recreational setting, in a wedding and then, for reasons that we don't fully understand, at that point, they were just this loose relationship. At that point, there wasn't this, this commitment of walking away from everything and following Jesus. But there's they're sort of a loose conglomeration, if you were, would. Jesus walks by. And Jesus says, Hey, remember me? I got a job! We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want you to realize that much of discipleship doesn't happen by accident. And it doesn't happen overnight. Much of discipleship comes about through a ministry of presence, and not all of it is formal. Now, when I say presence, I mean P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Now, if you would like to minister through presence with a T, I'm your guy. But if you want to do real discipleship ministry, it's going to require that C kind of presence, that, 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 that in-the-skin kind of ministry. And it's not going to all be formal. I like to talk about this as, as like tailgate ministry. Uh, on the tailgate of my truck. There's a whole lot of conversations for me that happen leaned over the bed of a truck or sitting on the tailgate of my truck. I even have some guys that come by and they, for whatever reason, they, don't, they never make it into my office. Right? I, we'll end up in the parking lot sitting on the tailgate of my truck and they're talking to me about all the things they got going on in their life. And that's where a whole lot of that discipleship takes place. We had one of our young men a couple years ago. He had some, some, just some mess going on. Nothing bad. He's a good guy. Great kid. But he just wanted to spend some time with me. 
And uh, I didn't know he wanted to spend some time with me. We were just kind of hanging out in the parking lot on a Wednesday night. And he drops the tailgate of the truck, and we sat there for like 45 minutes. You know what that is? That is informal, real discipleship. And I got more done with that kid in an unplanned time than I have in all the other years that I've had investing in his life. Right there. A ministry of, of presence. An initiation of a relationship. Folks, Jesus spent time with these men. He got to know these men. He shared with them. He invested in them. He has a real relationship. This is why in our church we do life group fellowships. This is why one Sunday night out of every quarter we cancel everything that's going on in our church on a Sunday afternoon so that y'all in your life groups don't have any excuse to not have time to get together and spend time with each other. Okay? Not because we're, 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 we're some sort of controlling people. I mean, I can be controlling. I try not to be. i got to have to fight against that. But what we learn, what we know is that for discipleship to be real, there's got to be real relation. It can't just be this forced thing, right, where you and you should get together because you're all the same age, so y'all better get together, and y'all should have a close relationship. That's, that's never going to happen unless you've got, like, real things in common. And so once out of every quarter, we cancel everything on a Sunday night. We set it aside as life group fellowship time. Now, if you want to fellowship at another time, that's your own business. But we want to make sure that we've created margin in the calendar of Malvern Hill Baptist Church for there to be real fellowship that takes place outside the walls of a life group classroom. Okay? And so because we believe that there's got to be relationships, Jesus initiated a relationship. Folks, as you think about who it is you're bringing along, let me ask you, who have you initiated a relationship with? Who have you initiated a relationship with? Who's that person that you just saddle over next to and sat beside on a Sunday morning because you thought, you know, I want to get to know this guy? Who's that person that you talked to at the water fountain or at the bathroom door? Maybe you invited him out for a hamburger. Maybe it was way less than that. Who's the guy or, that you leaned over the, the bed of the truck with and talked for the last 20 minutes? Who's the lady that you invested in? Who's that young mom that you talked with about the fact that her baby's not sleeping at night and her life is miserable? Who is it? Who did you just listen to? Who were you a shoulder to cry upon? Folks, we got to get past this place where we're waiting for people to come to us. we got to go find them. And can I tell you, they might be sitting right beside you in your own church. Initiate relationships. The second thing that we need to work on if we're going to bring people along in the discipleship process is to extend, is, is to extend invitations. Jesus initiated a relationship, but then he took it to another level. Jesus extended an invitation. Now, I'm not talking about like a, a Sunday morning invitation to come and meet Jesus. We, we do those here. I'm talking about just like a, hey, let's go. Now, invitations are interesting. They come in all shapes and sizes. They're Facebook invites. They're nice mailed invitations. They're phone call invitations. There's chance meetings in the street. And, of course, you know, you got the text book. Textbook text message invitation Jesus didn't send a text shockingly he handled it face to face folks as we consider discipleship and growing in Jesus we need to do a better job of initiating relationships and then extending an invitation extending an invitation but we've got to get past the weirdness of it how many of you like grew up in in a in a, a like especially in a like a Christian culture in college? Anybody? Man, we done saved a bunch of people. That's good. A lot of people come to Jesus after college. That's great. That's good. That's good. We we want our young people to go to college and love Jesus. But for y'all, we're just glad we got you on the back end. That's fine. Um, 
So maybe you grew up in a, in a, in a good church culture. And did anybody, don't raise your hand, anybody ever have that like, awkward conversation? They say something like, I would like to disciple you. You know? Or that person that walks up and goes, I would like for you to mentor me. Look, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is weird. Those aren't words that we generally use in our culture. Do you know that Jesus didn't reach out to the disciples and go, Hey, uh, James, John, come on, I I want to enter into a real serious mentoring one-on-one relationship with you. These fishermen are like, Nah, we good. Appreciate you. Have a good day, Jesus. No, Jesus extended the invitation, but look at how Jesus did it. Hey, y'all, come on with me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Hey, guys, come on. I've got a job to do. Jesus wanted to enter into a particular kind of relationship with these guys, but Jesus met them at their level. He met them at their place. He connected with them in a place that was comfortable for them. What's that mean? When you find out who that person is that you want to bring along and you extend an invitation to them, if they don't drink coffee, don't invite them to Starbucks. I like to fish. I don't do it a whole lot. But you know, when I go fishing, I don't fish with what I like to eat. I fish with what fish like to eat. Okay? It doesn't matter if I like macaroni and cheese if a fish won't bite. Now, if they will, that'd be pretty awesome. That means that when we're extending these invitations to discipleship, let's think carefully about the person we're talking to. Does that person like football? Invite them to come over and watch the ball game with you. You better make sure you act like Jesus when they get there. I'm talking to you Clemson fans. Y'all been gloating for a long time. Now we understand there's a lot for y'all to be happy about, but y'all could try and be a little more humble about it. We Carolina fans have learned humility. We should be the most humble people on earth. We're like Moses. But if they like football, invite them. But if they don't, then do me this favor. Don't be like, y'all come over to football, and then you catch them at halftime. Like, I've been thinking about this, and I want to talk to you about how it is that me and you can have a real special relationship. They're like, dude, this is strange. <laughs> Extend that invitation, but y'all, meet them where they are. Meet them where they are. Do they, do they eat breakfast every day at Chick-fil-A? Then go meet them at Chick-fil-A. Even if they don't eat every day at Chick-fil-A, they'll eat at Chick-fil-A if you'll pay. So invite them to come and eat breakfast with you. Meet them where they are and invite them. Don't wait. we got to stop waiting. Do you know? Y'all, we got to hurry, too. I have never, ever had anybody in our church come to me upset because too many people reached out to them. Not one time. Not one time. But I can't tell you the number of times that people have come to me and said, I can't believe that guy would just reach out to me for no reason. Well, what'd y'all do? We went and sat at lunch. Well, what'd y'all talk about? Man, he just, he cared about me. He asked me about my life. He asked me about my wife. He asked me about my kids. You can do that. You say, but what if they don't want to go? Well, look, if they don't want to go to lunch, they'll tell you. But let's get past this idea that we're sitting around waiting. Jesus was Jesus, and Jesus didn't sit around and wait for somebody to come by. Jesus went out and found them. you got to go find somebody. you got to go find somebody. Okay? Side note, don't go after the most popular person you see in the church. Discipleship is not a popularity contest. Okay? It's not. 
It's not. If that person is already involved in a relationship or they're growing in Christ here at our church, that's not the person you need to be going after. Find that person that's on the fringe, that person that's on the edge. Extend an invitation. Finally, this morning, walk together with Jesus. This is kind of where WWJD fails because you aren't Jesus. So what would Jesus do? We know that Jesus initiated relationships, that he invited these men, but we can only imitate Jesus to a point, but only to that point. See, once you've initiated a relationship and extended an invitation, you do have to walk with that person like Jesus did. But folks, you've got to make sure that you're walking with them hand in hand with Jesus. There's got to be a chain of three strands, and it is not easily broken as the Word of God teaches us, but the third strand has got to be Jesus. You've got to live life together, if you want to use that word. You, whatever you want to do, you've got to walk with this person, but you've got to make sure that you're staying connected with Jesus. Staying connected means showing others how to live their lives like Jesus. It's wrestling with questions like, how do you love your spouse like Jesus? How do you love your children like Jesus? How do you work in a way that honors Jesus? How do you engage in personal spiritual disciplines in a way that honors the Lord? Do you spend time in a devotion every day? If you do, how do you pull that off? A lot of people who are young in the faith, they want to grow in the Christian walk, but they just don't know what the steps are, and they just need somebody to come along. Maybe they need somebody to send them a text at, at quarter to six in the morning and say, hey, I prayed for you. Have you gotten in the Word yet today? It might be something that simple. It might be just that easy. Maybe you need to help them understand what it looks like to show Jesus the world. I regularly pray for my servers when I go to a restaurant. A lot of y'all do the same thing. I, I, I ask them if there's something I can pray for them about. And, uh, of course, always, always they're open to that. I've, I'm, I'm yet to meet anybody that was offended by that. Many times they respond in tears, y'all. Because too few Christians have taken their responsibility to be Jesus to the world seriously enough to actually engage with a server at a restaurant or with a cashier in the line at the grocery store. But you know, this has become an opportunity for discipleship for me as well. Because as I sit down at a meal with somebody else, and that's just a part of who we are as a family and a part of who I am as a person, I have the opportunity to show somebody else how I am living out Jesus' command to love the world around me in one person at a time. That's not gloating, you understand. It would be arrogant and gloating and prideful and all sorts of other things if I only did that when somebody else was with me. You get it? But when it's a part of your, your daily life, then you have the opportunity to show somebody how you get there. What's it look like? Folks, this is the burden of believers. It is the responsibility of us to bring people along, to live like Jesus in front of those people so that new believers understand what it looks like to be a committed follower of Christ. Our responsibility is to run from gossip and slander and foolishness and to show others how to walk with Jesus. What does that mean? Who are you bringing? Who are you bringing? Who are you bringing? This weekend, I celebrated my 20th high school reunion. I'm exhausted. We got home at midnight last night. I had to drink like eight gallons of coffee just to make it home because I was already tired, so I didn't sleep real well. Um, I feel like I'm just sweating coffee up here. I, can't, I don't know if y'all can tell. It was a good time. We had a, a pretty good turnout. 
Um, I created a website for people to, to sign up. We had a guy from our class design some professional graphics. There was a Facebook page. It was listed in several other places. Um, but do you know what the most effective way to get somebody to show up turned out to be? Personal invitations, right? Personal invitations. It turned out that what needed to happen for folks to show up is they needed to know who else was coming. They needed to receive a text or a phone call or a face-to-face. Say, hey, will you be there? I found that out as I began to invite people to come. I'd, I'd, I'd reach out and send them a phone call or an email. I'd say, I don't know if you saw this uh, on Facebook or somewhere else. We're, we're having this 20th reunion. You know, the response I got was, you know, I did see that. I, I think I will come. And, and I'm going to see if, if so-and-so's interested in coming as well. They had seen it. They knew the opportunity existed. But until they were actually invited... Now remember, this is a 20th reunion. We all graduated from the same school on the same day in the same year. Some of us had been going to school together for 13 years. I was there last night with a guy that I went to school together with from kindergarten all the way until I graduated college. And yet some of those folks who had been going to school together for 13 years still did not feel welcome until somebody extended a personal invitation. How much more in God's church? See, you can sit around and gripe about it. Well, they should feel welcome. Or you can love them enough to say, I'm not sure why they didn't feel, but I want to make sure they do. See, we can gossip and slander, or we can look like Jesus, who is loving and patient and kind. See, people fall through the cracks in churches not because they aren't invited to participate, but because they didn't receive that personal invitation. No one invested. No one invited. And nobody walked with them. Discipleship is not the exclusive responsibility of pastors, of deacons, of youth pastors, of children's ministers. It's not even the exclusive responsibility of our life group leaders here at Malvern Hill. Every believer has the responsibility of finding another believer or two and trying to work together to grow in godliness. And listen to me, you can do this. You must do this. The kingdom of God needs you to be serious about making disciples of all nations. The Bible says that Jesus went out and he found these men that he reached out to them. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why did he say fishers? Because they were fishermen and they understood that. He extended that invitation. And then they walked with Jesus. I'm going to finish right here. And then we're going to make an application and we're done. In, in the ancient world, Jesus was unique as a rabbi or as a teacher. See, in the ancient world... Rabbis or teachers were well known and they were well regarded and they were well respected. But, but for the most part, they wouldn't have dreamed of lowering themselves, demeaning themselves to a place that they're out trying to build up a following. You see, in the ancient world, they did what too many Christians like to do today. They sat down and they waited for somebody to show up. And rabbis would sit and teach and learners would stand and listen. And the goal was for them to accumulate enough information from their teacher that perhaps they could surpass him. The goal was to leave him behind and to go on to establish their own school. But Jesus was so different. Jesus didn't sit around and wait for people to show up. Jesus went out and found them. And then the goal of discipleship 
for believers in Jesus Christ was not to surpass the teacher. The goal was to be with the teacher. You see, Christian discipleship was never primarily about an accumulation of information. It was about a relational connection with the king of the universe. And Jesus walked with those men. So I ask you this morning, who are you bringing along? Who are you walking with? I'll just be honest with you. If you've been a believer for more than about 12 months, and I ask you that question and you draw a blank, man, you got you to come on. We need you. We need you. You can do this. You can. So here's what I would urge you this morning by way of invitation. Pray for God to show you a person. And I mean pray for God to show you. I don't mean sit around here and look for the funnest person in the building. Pray for God to show you who needs you in their life. That's right. Somebody needs you. They do. Pray for God to prepare the heart of that person, whoever it would be. Pray for God to prepare your heart. Because I'm going to tell you something. Discipleship's not always easy. We're humans. We'll let each other down. Pray for God to give you courage and wisdom. Courage to initiate that, that relationship and wisdom as to how, to how to do it. What's it look like? Is this the person that you're going to meet with over coffee once a week and read God's Word? Or is this the person for the first eight or ten months you're just going to watch football and go hunt together and you're going to look for opportunities to leverage God's Word into that relationship? But perhaps this morning it's even larger. See, perhaps, as a matter of fact, more than likely there's some of you here that don't need to be praying for God to show you who you can invest in. There's some of you here this morning who are... Who's not a disciple of Jesus Christ at all. And as I talk about walking with Jesus and looking like Jesus, what you need more than anything is for Jesus to invade your life and to somebody to come alongside you. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you knew, if you know that today, on the way home from here, you were to die and you know that you would go to hell. Can I tell you that it doesn't have to be that way because today, right here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church, God stands ready to rescue you from your sin, to plant you into life with Jesus Christ and to change you. There's people here at Malvern Hill that would walk with you and to help you understand what it looks like to grow in relationship with Jesus. So are you a disciple? Do you know Jesus? If not, in just a minute, we're going to stand and sing. And I want to invite you to come today and to follow Jesus. But finally this morning, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you. And maybe God's calling you into something entirely different. I'm curious, is there a pastor, a preacher, a missionary in this building that just hasn't admitted it yet? Is there somebody here today... Is, is there somebody here today who's been living in willful rebellion to God's call in their life? And today's the day that you just need to lay it down and say, Lord God, I'm not, I don't even like all of what you're calling me to yet. God, I don't even know if I can do what you're calling me to yet. Lord God, if you want the truth of the matter, I ain't real happy about what you're calling me to yet. 
But the needs of the kingdom outweigh my comfort and my desires. And so, Lord God, I'm coming to you today, and I believe that you've called me to something. You've called me to be a disciple maker, and Lord God, it's time that I get over me and I find a way to trust you. Maybe some of you need to come and say today, today's the day, Lord God, that I give it up. There may be some of you that need to come and say, Lord God, I know I need to give it up, and I'm not just there yet. Lord God, would you change my heart? You can do it. How do I know you can do it? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Jesus has made a way. As we stand and sing in just a minute, would you come? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We praise you. We are so grateful for your love towards us. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to perceive and understand, to apply the word of God. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that you would draw us to your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Would you stand and would you sing my victory? He came for criminals. He came for sinners. He came for you and for me. And we have an opportunity to stand alongside with those that he's came and to help them grow in their relationship with Christ. You came for criminals and everything.